Hi guys, welcome back to the original Judo podcast. I am James Austin and I am joined today by um guest, not someone we've had on before. We're talking about quite a specific uh subject. Um if you've been on the uh, British Judo Underground Facebook group, you might have seen a whole series of messages uh, uh around the topic of concussion that is what prompted me to get in touch with uh, the chat we're speaking to today. Delighted to welcome, it's uh, Gary Turner on the phone. Hi Gary, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, can I just get you to introduce yourself to the listeners? We haven't got many, but there might be one or two people out there um, who want to know a little bit more about you, what your background is. Uh, I know you've got a background in multiple kind of combat sports. Um, yeah, you can let us know who you are. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Gary Turner. I'm 49 years old. Uh, started my martial sports career way back in 1976 with judo. Uh, I've got career highlights of being a world champion 13 times across three different sports. I've been British champion at two more. Uh, I was in the British school's judo team. Um, I had a difficult transition to the adult world because uh, I'd already found kickboxing uh, back when I was 19. So I basically retired from competitive judo in uh, uh, 1991. I'm getting on a bit now. Uh, but <laughs> I did make the Surrey men's team, which I was quite pleased, and, and competed as an international uh, for, for Surrey uh, uh, abroad. So, yeah, I've had a, an interesting fight sport career, uh, fought in 26 countries uh, and received a lot of repetitive head impacts along the way. Uh, which has led me to do a doctorate. I'm doing a PhD at Winchester University uh, involved with the behavioural effects of head impacts in fight sport athletes uh, because technically my brain should be mush the amount of hits that I've had over the years but I still <laughs> seem to be able to think. Um, so I'm, it's a, a deeply personal study designed to help me, help my peers and help our sports as well. We, we're going to... I talk about brain trauma, uh, talk about concussion in just a second, but I want to have a, uh, I guess, fanboy, fangirl moment here briefly, um, which is completely to the opposite end. I think back in the early 2000s, maybe like 2005, 2006, might have been a little later, I think I came to see you fight a chap by the name of Tank Abbott. <laughs> in cage rage 21 something like that and i think you'd been due to fight bob sap is that right <laughs> that is and indeed he's dropped yeah out and um my brother and i my brother is a professional mma fighter at yeah. the moment um we we came along to see uh, i think 25 seconds of tank abbott being an absolute monster and then you landed a stiff jab or a <laughs> yeah. a cross or something on him and he very quickly changed his mind it, it was a funny time um, basically uh, I was there at the inception and development of UK mixed martial arts in fact I think I was actually uh, modern mixed martial arts I was possibly Britain's second international mixed martial artist uh, when I won wow. the Golden Dragon Cup in Rimini back in 1991 I think it was uh, I was the second because uh, Sandy Holt had a Thai boxing student who was at a lighter weight and fought before me um, right. and I fought in a few shows in the late 90s um, and then pursued continuing with my K1 kickboxing career um, but I got the shout at late notice um, I've got four weeks. Can I fight Bob Sapp at Wembley Arena? Uh, mixed martial arts cage raid show. 
So I look at Bob Sapp, and of course he's a wee bit of a monster at a, around 170 kilos of solid muscle, uh, but he, he, he's got weakness left, right and centre. He had a weak point on his left orbital bone, where in his previous fight, uh, Mirko Filiokrokop, uh, as he's known, um, had struck him with an overhand right and broken his uh, left orbital bone. So I thought, right, okay. He cried like a baby at that time. So I thought, right. <laughs> All my training was based around going out against Bob Sapp, throwing an overhand right onto his left orbital bone, and with a single shot, I'll have been this little little sort of David and Goliath moment. I'll be little David with an overhand right, and he'll collapse screaming and crying onto the mat. With one single hit, I would have defeated the, the amazing Bob Sapp. Only... That week of the fight, he found out I wasn't a mug. I'd been training all the K1 greats over in the Netherlands, uh, and he didn't get on the plane. So they phoned the worst person you could possibly call as an opponent for me, uh, Tank Abbott. He was on, in Huntington Beach on his bar stool, and he hopped off, and he's the guy that they basically based the UFC on. He's an original American pit fighter. He's a really scary guy. Looks out of shape, and he does love his beer, uh, or did love his beer. Um, if you see him now, he's uh, had kidney problems and uh, liver problems, and uh, now he's in quite good shape as a result. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, he, he's a legendary fighter, and he's scary. Um, so I'm going out there to fight this absolute mixed martial arts legend. Uh, and in, in fact, he was in the episode of Friends where Courtney Cox's boyfriend fought in the UFC. Yeah. He fought Tank Abbott. Uh, the guy's an absolute legend and he's a scary guy. Lovely guy, but a scary guy. Um, uh, anecdotal tale. I met him at the, the press meet the day before. I said, hi, Tank. Can I have a photograph with you? He says, yeah, sure. We're just taking a picture. He said, I want to get a picture before you black my eye. He said, why would I black your eye? He goes, I'm the fellow you're fighting tomorrow. And he just roared with laughter. Really, really good guy. Good sense of humour. But the referee said fight. And at that point in time, this is a silly thought flashed through my mind, completely against the game plan we then put in place for, uh, Bob, uh, for, for Tank Abbott, uh, was could I have landed that shot, that overhand right, onto the left orbital bone? And if you put Tank v. Turner or Turner v. Tank into YouTube, you'll see the video. And I go straight out there and land the most perfect overhand right on his left orbital bone. Bob Sapp would have collapsed and cried like a baby. Unfortunately, <laughs> Tank Abbott just took it like it was a fly hitting a truck windscreen. And then he hit me like he was the truck and I was the fly. Um, and then, yeah, I went through about 30 seconds of absolute hell. Um, fortunately, I'm a little bit tough taking lots of uh, scary, repetitive head impacts, but then reversed the fight, took him to the ground, um, knocked his tooth out with an upshot, um, and, and, and ended up um, getting him to tap out on the ground uh, to achieve the win. But yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a great fight. It's uh, worth watching for everybody, because it's, it's, it's an idea of what not to do when you're fighting Tank Abbott. Oh, it was absolutely superb. We were so excited at the time, my brother and I. Um, Can you remember the again, crowd when he hit me? The, the whole, whole arena erupted it was so bad that when I managed to get up through the rain of blows and went back against the cage wall um, I couldn't even hear my corner for instructions so if you look at the video I'm actually lip reading my corner looking to my right lip reading my corner as he's hitting me trying to work out what the heck I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing the atmosphere was incredible it was like a little movie scene wasn't it <laughs> it, was, it was amazing it's like one of the best fights I've ever ever been to um, the load of fights in the crowd as there always were at the cage range but I just I remember seeing him storm out and you were in the cage I was terrified up 40 rows back (laughs) (laughs) but yeah for that 
30 second period before you caught him and he changed his mind or you forced him to change his mind about how the fight was going to go. It was, um, yeah, it was a really humbling experience to see him full steam unleashing hell on someone. It was very exciting. So <laughs> phenomenal to share the, the, the cage with, yeah, a legend of the sport, really. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he is an absolute legend. Um, and it, it was an honour to fight with him. Um, and also, uh, after the fight, I checked it was okay. And we, uh, yeah, we, we did share a few brandies afterwards. And he is, he is a really, really, really nice character. Uh, it's, uh, the, a lot of the, uh, the, in, in the next sort of 15 years to where we are now, uh, mixed martial arts tends to have been a bit more, it's gone more business oriented. Uh, yeah. And it's a lot of I'm the big man, lots of the smack talk and the rest of it. But back in the day, we actually really got on. We had a laugh. Uh, I remember when I fought Julius Francis, the boxer. Again, we shared brandy after that together in the after show. <laughs> uh, everyone got on. Uh, just the odd idiot every now and again. But now it seems that the smack talk's taken over, which is a shame. And it's taken, I think, a backward step from where it was, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure behind the scenes and from what my brother tells me is that once the fight is out of the way everyone's very unfriendly or on good terms to some degree but I, I think the, that's the case the, yeah at, at the top level there is uh, it has gone the WWE route the professional boxing route to yeah to, 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 I, I would agree with you there yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But then, uh, you know, my fight nickname used to be Smiler. Uh, yes. I was in it because I love the sport. You know, I, I wasn't there to hurt anybody. Unfortunately, that was just a byproduct of, of what we were doing. Um, I wish I'd have taken up a, a sport where we actually shook hands and shared a cup of tea. <laughs> it, was, it, it was fun mixing with them and testing ourselves. So having started with a, a brief chat about how great you were at taking punches to the head and giving punches to the head. Can you now uh, talk to us a little bit about what is concussion? What is brain trauma? Right. Concussion. Um, concussion itself is a medical diagnosis of mild traumatic brain injury. So make no bones about it. Every time you hear the word concussion, I, 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 actually, I hate the word. Uh, it's been invented by sport to kind of like soften uh, uh, what we think it is, but we can't get away from it. It is a traumatic brain injury, and it's a serious brain injury that we do not actually fully recover from ever. Um, so basically, any strike to the head, even a butterfly landed on our nose, is concussive. Um, it's a force transfer uh, through to our to our to our brains. Um, every impact that we get is something called heterogenic. It's unique to the individual. So no two forces that are applied the same and they're not received the same. Your head is a different shape to my head, for example. We've got different uh, uh, skull structures. Uh, the, the biomechanical force transfer that then reaches the brain will be different, creating a different injury each time. But a biomechanical force transfer to the brain is what causes the injury. Um, even head in a football causes traumatic brain injury. Last year, Stirling University did a study where they got a guy, got a guys who headed the ball six times. And just heading the ball six times lowered cognition, lowered memory, the ability to learn, lowered motor coordination. So even light so-called subconcussive blows have quite a serious effect. 
And what basically happens is when the force is transferred through to the brain, um, you get the, uh, the, the network, the structure breaks slightly. Uh, imagine getting a, a handful of spaghetti and very lightly wringing that spaghetti. The odd little one may snap and break. And then the more force, the more it will snap and break. And this is the start of the problem. Connections are lost. They may rewire, but going on a longer route, slowing concussion later on, um, slowing uh, uh, cognition later on. Um, and they also release uh, a whole neurometabolic cascade of, uh, uh, of various actions. So we've got axonal jeopardy, metabolic changes take place. There's inflammation that goes on. Gene expression is affected. There's neurodegeneration as, 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 brains, as, as brain cells die. Um, in other words, every hit screws your brain up uh, we do try and recover from it in two ways uh, we've got neurogenesis where some of the cells are replaced uh, the, the axons and dendrites the little structures that are uh, between the, the, the neurons between the brain cells try and repair and we eat into a cognitive buffer we we, we find new ways around it um, think of it like uh, say three bridges across a river and there's an earthquake you can't mm -hmm. use the first bridge because it's broken, broken the earthquake. So you go then and do the second one. You can do the, get, get the same dis, you can do the same journey from A to B, but now it just takes a little bit longer. Right. And that's what starts to happen in the brain. Now if there's another earthquake, the next bridge may go. In which case now you've got to go to the next bridge on, and it will take even longer still to get there. So your brain operation slows still further. And then if there's another earthquake, you might not be able to get over the river and you've lost function completely. So every hit is happening like this. Um, there's a period that takes place. In fact, today, well, I've been I've had a study day today um, and I've been going through the, um, uh, this neurometabolic cascade again and catching up on any latest papers that have arisen on it. And basically, the, the effects of a single hit to the head um, can last a good 30 days. And that's just a single hit to the head. Wow. And during that period, the brain is not going to be working as well as it should. The more hits that we have and the higher the magnitude of those hits, the worse the results will be. The earlier and younger you start having the hits, the worse the effects will be. Adolescent brains and child brains, brains in development up to the age of about 24, 25 when it hits full maturity, although it always keeps changing. Um, younger brains are, are, are affected even more than the adult brains. Uh, they haven't got this protective structure called myelin. Uh, to the same extent as an adult brain, uh, the size of a kid's head is disproportionate to the uh, the rest of its body. So there's more head wobble, less control on the head, meaning that more force is transferred to the brain as well. So structurally, uh, uh, physiologically, um, uh, and and by way of practice, they're they're more vulnerable to brain injury as well. So it's a particular issue for kids. Uh, so basically, the, the the take home is every single hit to your head creates brain injury you'll never fully recover from the effects of that brain injury so it's quite a, it's quite a serious issue and imagine what a wake-up call this was for me three years ago finding out uh, all of this when uh, uh, as you'll see if you ever watched that video of me and tank abbott um i used to take five shots to give six <laughs> so you know um, it's, it's quite scary what i've done to my brain so that's the the, the basics of concussion itself um, and that's just in the what we call the acute phase. 
Uh, there's then the subacute phase that happens after these immediate effects where we can get various symptoms the classic symptoms of concussion. For example, we might have headache, we might have uh, adversity to light or noise, we might get slurred speech, we've got the motor control issues, our sleep might be affected. All the, all, all the common uh, our balance might go, we might feel dizzy, we might have that fog in our head. All of these are symptoms of a serious brain injury. If you've ever seen someone in a boxing ring whose legs have just wobbled for a second, that's already a serious brain injury that that guy would never or girl would never ever recover from. So we've got the acute effects, slowing of cognition, how our brain actually thinks, how it operates, uh, cell death, inflammation. Uh, the, the brain goes into hibernatory mode to help us recover as well, meaning that we're even more, uh, <laughs> our brains are working even more slowly. Symptomology normally takes about 30 days and then it kind of reverts to normal. But that's not a, that's just a rerouting that's taking place. It's not a complete reversal of the injury. So we've got the acute phase, oh, wow. subacute phase. Then we get the, the, the headaches and the, the concussion symptoms. Uh, and just to let you know that 28%, research shows that 28% of children who suffered a concussion diagnosis one year on are still suffering the effects of that concussion. Wow. Which is quite scary. It's a, 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 it's a bit of a big issue. Then yeah, we've got the chronic issues because <laughs> there's, there's two more to go. So, long, <laughs> uh, so on the longer term, the chronic issues, it's got the acute, then the subacute, then we've got chronic issues. Uh, it leads to mood disorders, uh, aggressive tendencies, uh, depression, an increased likelihood of uh, uh, suicide. Um, your risk of suicide, not your actual chance of suicide, but your risk of suicide, the original risk of suicide, will increase by up to 81% from a single concussion. Uh, which is quite a scary thought. Um, there's a lack of impulse control. Um, it, it's quite a, a serious mood disorder, overall behavioural effect that can happen and happens a lot more after you've had a single concussion. Again, the more concussions that you have, the more repetitive hits to your head you have, then the worse it, worse it gets. Uh, the, the aggression instance, for example, uh, think of it like you're driving a car and you go over mm -hmm. a rock. And your car carries on. It's like, oh, that's a little bump, but the car's going fine. And then you try and put your foot on the brakes. And suddenly you realise that the brake line's been cut and you can't stop. Um, this is a reason right. for suicide taking place disproportionately with sport-related concussions. Um, you've got the chronic effects of these mood disorders, but you've also got this lack of impulse control. And research shows that for making the decision to attempt suicide uh, and actually carrying out that attempt, you've only got eight minutes. So that's eight wow. minutes for the average person. If you've had head impacts, repetitive head impacts, and it's adversely affected your impulse control, um, you might not be able to bring it back from the brink. And therefore, you're even more likely to suffer from uh, uh, actually carrying out that suicide, which is um, you know, it's, it's a very worrying thing. But there's even more worrying things to come, I'm afraid, because we've got the acute phase, we've got the subacute phase, um, we've then got the chronic phase, but then we've got the late effects. The late effects happen because as those little connections in the brain are broken and the neurometabolic cascade happens, there's, uh, let's describe it as debris released, which are tau proteins, alloprotein E's, beta amyloid, little bits of protein, and they aggregate, they collect in the brain. 
Um, and what they do is they adversely affect the function of the brain, which means you're more likely to suffer the early onset, earlier onset and more rapid development of dementia, Alzheimer's disease, ALS, motor neuron disease, uh, uh, Parkinsonism, um, uh, multiple sclerosis. Um, so this is this is all that we've got to look forward to in later life. Wow. So. The end result of all of these acute, subacute, chronic and late effects is as a brilliant study uh, that's been done on twins where, where tens and hundreds of thousands of twins were studied over their lifetime. And so trying to isolate as much as possible uh, sort of uh, genetic factors that might be involved, the differences between individuals. Uh, so they did it on twins. And the, uh, uh, the overall result was if you've been diagnosed with a single concussion, your life outcomes will be worse across every single marker. The more concussions you've got, then the worse those outcomes will be. So this is quite a serious problem. It's a, a very serious problem for the individual. It's a very serious problem for the families and friends of that individual. And of course, it's a burden on society as well. Um, it, it's, yeah. Uh, hopefully I've scared people uh, and I can tell you now I've understated it because it means that people might actually start paying attention to what we're all doing. Well, I think you've, you've yeah, hit the nail on the head. A lot of the stuff you've said there is, is really scary. And I think talking around mood disorders, behavior, impulse control and uh, suicide, I think there's a lot of things that are really relevant to the judo community at the moment um, yeah yeah of the the young american lads jack hatton uh and obviously craig Fallon, yeah yeah uh, last year a lot of my friends know him and, and i knew of him but i didn't know him personally and i you know i just want to send a hug and some love to everybody that knows him um can i just say as well i'm not saying that that that, that instance was to do with the head impact um, of course. All of these late effects have things called polypathology. So in other words, there's multiple causations all combining into one. You, you're talking about these issues and they're something about your language, though, is you talk about taking hits. You talk about impact. Now, we're talking about judo and yeah. um, you, you've done a really wonderfully informative uh talk about this on the british boxing talk podcast uh, there's a couple of episodes on there and i encourage everybody to go away and listen to them um where i'm coming at though is that talking about hits talking about impact boxing is an impact sport it is a striking sport when i think of judo we're talking about potentially like a tension sport with lots of uh, physical injuries but i think of tension injuries rather than impact injuries you know i'm aware that at the moment there are crises in rugby with concussion um the nfl in the states i don't know if you've seen the netflix documentary on aaron hernandez uh i haven't actually watched it although um Anne McKee is featured in it, and Winchester University is just about to partner with uh, a project with uh, the Boston University and the Boston Brain Bank with Anne McKee. Uh, and my um, my third supervisor, uh, uh, Adam White, PhD, Dr. White, good old Adam, he's lovely, yeah. um, he's pushing me to the limit uh, on, 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 on getting to be where I need to be with my studies. He's an amazing guy. Um, he actually went at the end of last year 
uh, to to be with and meet with Anne McKee uh, and actually was at the Boston, Boston Brain Bank and he was actually handling and helping them process the brains to see exactly what was carried out there. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, that's quite a, an interesting, um, uh, podcast, podcast, quite an interesting series to see on Netflix on it. And of course, we've got the origins of the NFL affair when it first hit the, yeah. uh, had a big system of concussion starring Will Smith, uh, about Dr. Amalu and his discovery with Mike Webster, the, uh, NFL player. Right. Okay. Um, bringing it back to judo, where, yeah. what do you see as the risks in judo? Okay, judo, uh, okay, going back onto, uh, the concussive brain injury, the traumatic brain injuries, it doesn't have to be a direct hit to the head that causes the force to be transferred to the brain. We also get biomechanical force transfer through the body. So, for example, if you imagine a rugby player taking a rugby tackle in the body, the head will still move and there will still be a force transfer through the body to the head. So like a uh, whiplash effect. You've got it, the whiplash effect that takes place, but also through the, uh, the skeletal, musculoskeletal structure itself. Okay. Now, obviously, boxing, kickboxing, tie boxing, mixed martial arts, we, we, we punch, kick, knee, elbow each other in the head because we're stupid like that. <laughs> not, not recommended. Uh, not recommended to take hits like that to the head, and I've had too many. Uh, so we, we're designing ourselves to actually you know, strike the head and cause damage. Judo, of course, the head tends to be more protected. However, if you think about hitting the head with the striking arts, then if you think about the biomechanical force transfer of a rugby player tackling another player, now just imagine what happens to the force transfer when you throw someone really hard into a judo mat. Yeah. Okay, there's two issues here. One, the head may strike the mat, which is going to be deleterious to the brain for sure. Two, there might be that whiplash effect if the head is kept off the mat uh, as the force transfers through the body into into the head. The one thing that we do have in judo to help us out big time are breakfalls. And that is designed to transfer the force into the fixator, into the ground. Um, So we don't actually absorb that energy. It just passes through us and goes into the ground. But then I used to remember landing like a sack of spuds when I was doing (laughs) competition judo. Because if you give a nice big break fall, obviously you're going to, you know, zip on. (laughs) So to land safely, you've got to break fall appropriately. You know, rather than landing, trying desperately, you know, to, to get off your back, you just, you know, you, you don't give these lovely, big, beautiful, you know, classical kata style breakfalls in, in competition. You do your best to, to get out of it. So you, you do land, uh, perhaps like a rugby player receiving a tackle. Yeah. Um, the things that are protective for judo are two things. Uh, the breakfall in practice itself, so be aware of that for training, which I'm, I know we'll come on to, uh, but also neck strength. I started with judo from 96 through, so 96, uh, 76 through to 91 with my, my competitive judo years, or 78 through to 91 competitive, because I was six, I couldn't start competition until I was eight, obviously. Um, but, one of the things when I converted to kickboxing was that my neck was incredibly strong thanks to the judo. Right. And neck strength is one of the only things that is protective uh, of that force transfer going through to the brain. 
So when we've got strong necks and we can apply that strength in the right way at the right time for the right effect, it can help prevent that biomechanical force transfer going through to the head. Um, Dr. Rosie Sexton, uh, one of the UFC's mm-hmm. uh, former female greats, a lovely British lady. She's been sports jiu-jitsu team with me. She's an amazing girl, really good girl. Um, she's got a, a, a course that she's starting to run for mixed martial artists on neck strength, which I advise people to look at. So that's Rosie Sexton, R-O-S-I Sexton former UFC fighter, very clever and very nice young lady, um, and she's done a lot of work in neck strengthening, appropriate neck strengthening as well. I highly support her in that, because it's one of the things we can do that's protective. Uh, but the biomechanical force transfer, hitting the ground, if I hit it, Matt, um, if you know we land and then a knee goes into our head, that's where the risks are. Um, the risks are a lot lower um, than in, uh, um, say, kickboxing and boxing. Uh, the martial sports, the striking sports, are, are you, you, we're basically screwed. For example, uh, the study that uh, the uh, uh, British Boxing Board of Control rely on, uh, once you add in sparring and competition into the mix, uh, for every 1,000 hours of uh, participation, there's 1,221 injuries. Wow. So it's quite considerable. Yeah. Uh, if you hear any barks in the background or little howls, I've got little Dr. Max Husky. Uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of Huskies. In fact, I'll go to say hello. Max, speak. <laughs> so to the judo community for <laughs> Dr. Max Husky, please give me one second. I'm just going to let him out because he wants to wait. <laughs> one second. Your timing is horrendous, Oh, that's got to be a first on a podcast. <laughs> a husky having a wee. <laughs> Sorry about that. So yeah, so in, in judo, it's the throws to the ground that's the big issue. Uh, heads hitting the floor uh, and the biomechanical force transfer through the body to the brain. Now, for all you judo players out there and all you coaches out there, if you've seen anyone complain of a headache, uh, dizziness, grogginess, a bit of adversity to light or sound, uh, maybe a bit of motor control. Um, have a look at the eyes as well. If the eyes aren't working, if they're, if they're not tracking your finger, if they're not dilating right, that kind of thing. All of those are signs of a concussive brain injury or traumatic, traumatic brain injury. And therefore, you need to take the appropriate precautions. Um, judo kind of uh, hits um, about the same as uh, wrestling by way of injuries and concussive brain injuries. But there's still enough there to you guys to actually warrant taking taking note of it particularly in training with the repetitive throwing okay um so is that where you see more of the issues lie in training situations because i imagine again you get the attitude of ah get on with it you'll be absolutely fine book up sally yeah, the hyper-masculine nature of our sport. Suck it up, buttercup. Grow a set. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it, it's the wrong attitude to have. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, if you remember back on the acute phase, uh, it affects your balance and motor coordination. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to perform as well with a brain injury. <laughs> so we've got to pay attention to it. So when it happens, we've got to make sure we recover from it to the best of our ability. Uh, think about an earthquake again in that bridge. Think of there being a mild earthquake, probably the same as a hard throw into the mat. Um, 
the bridge won't be the same. It might have weakened slightly. So the more earthquakes that take earthquakes that take place, the more times we're thrown repetitively hard into the mat, the more the damage may take place. Right. Yeah. In which case, each time you're being thrown, each time you're hitting hard into the mat, there is going to be some force transfer and this is starting to accumulate. Once you've got this brain injury in place, uh, it's already weakened. You're more likely to. Uh, it's like it's like you've got a kid trying to take the t- t- lid off a jam jar. <laughs> yeah, he's trying. He can't do it. He can't quite do it. So you loosen it for him, and then yeah. you let him just do it with his little hands. Go, I can do it, Dad. Look, <laughs> but you've really loosened it. Concussions the same. Once you've really been concussed. Once it's really been weakened, you're more likely to incur that injury and the worse that injury and the worse the outcomes as well. And how long does that carry on for? Or is that uh, like an everlasting effect? Say you have a concussion in year one. Do you still have that high risk six months later, a year later? Um, Reading today, it appears that the, the greatest risk is in the first 30 days. Right. And indeed, in rugby, um, there's been, in particular rugby, there's been some catastrophic deaths that have occurred um, through something called second impact syndrome, where the brain's already shut down to repair from the first brain injury, and you get another big hit, and the brain just goes kaput. Wow. You know, you, you shut down. If Put it this way, if, if, if a judo player's had a hit to the head and instantly starts getting breathing troubles, uh, 999 and tell them uh, about exactly what's happening, you might end up having an air ambulance coming. Um, you know, just, just to warn you, it, it, it's very, very rare, but it can happen. Second impact syndrome. You can Google it and you'll find it. Second impact syndrome in rugby, and you'll see the instances that have taken place. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite a serious matter. Okay, before we before we move on to what we can do about it, like just a a side note, is there any risk from strangles? I know if you follow BJJ or any of the BJJ like Instagram sites, um, they love to uh, post some of the many videos of uh, judoka being strangled out um, yeah. in competition, refusing to tap. Does that have an effect on brain trauma or am I going down the wrong uh, path with this? Uh, no, no, you're, you're on the right path, but just a parallel path. So okay. it's not uh, the, the, the it's not trauma by of impact that happens, but it's, there's a different biological process that takes place. So when you starve your brain of oxygen with a strangle. Yeah. Uh, and for the BJJ listeners amongst us, that's a strangle, not a choke. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why they call a rear, you know, rear naked choke, a rear naked strangle. You, you're choking someone, you're not strangling the arteries. You know, it, it, that's, a, that's, that's me being pedantic. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like I'm, I'm I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt, I'm a judo black belt, second dan, uh, and also a jiu-jitsu black belt. And the amount of people who say, no, you're not a jiu-jitsu black belt, I'm like, I'm a third dan, jiu-jitsu black belt. It's like, you know, you're not. You've never even done BJJ. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah. I didn't say sorry, it was in a jiu-jitsu sorry, black belt. Yeah. I said jiu-jitsu black belt. They, yeah. they take over the world. It's great. Great art, though. Um, all judoka should be doing BJJ as well as the judo. Uh, but yeah, basically, you, you cut the, you, you cut, you know, start starving the uh, the brain of oxygen and blood flow and nutrients. Uh, it has a deleterious effect again. Uh, and I would suggest considering, just as a metaphor, uh, that strangles are like repetitive hits to the head. Um, lots of little strangles add up, like lots of little hits add up, 
um, and lots of big hits, big strangles. If you, you know, you, oh, I remember me being stupid as a kid. We used to, if someone got a strangle on in training, we, we, we'd then relax, let them get it on fully and hold it off as long as we can. <laughs> and, and some, especially some of some of the older lot that, that listen, uh, uh, sort of my age, because <laughs> it used to be quite a common practice. You've got the time when you lift your hand to tap, and the next yeah. thing you're floating. That's a big. <laughs> yeah. That's not done my brain any favours. So yeah, strangling, going hypoxy, uh, cutting off the blood flows to the brain it, it is very deleterious as well. Very much in the same way as uh, head impacts. Just different processes, different end results, but it's not doing us any favours. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's certainly one that I'm familiar with in competition, <laughs> being strangled, and you're looking up at the referee, plead or not pleading, acting as if nothing is happening, uh, getting closer and closer <laughs> to to being strangled out, uh, but begging the referee to stop the contest. Do do your best acting comes out in those those oh, situations. You've got I've, I've had a few good uh, out of body experiences. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what what can we do about it? What can you do about it as an athlete? What can you do about it as a coach? And then what would you like to see governing bodies do? I guess which again it's a it's a big question. There's three three strands to it, but yeah. So basically, what can we do about it? Uh, the, the key thing is to limit head impacts. Um, because if you have a head impact, you, you know, you, you're not going to recover from it fully. It's going to have that deleterious effect. So we've got to limit it. So we've got to think about the way that we train and the necessity for what we do. Judo is quite progressive uh, compared to the fight sports. Um, sp- interactive sports performance relies on the appropriate response to the stimuli. Um, we don't need to repetitively, it's a deliberate practice. Practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So we need to get deliberate practice in. Um, so the more sports specific moves that we can do, that we're actually going to use, the better. And the higher quality of them, the better as well. Uh, to execute them properly, we need to actually have control on them. So what I'd like to suggest is hard throws into the mat, we stop doing in training. If you're going to do a throw onto the mat, uh, do it with control and do it with a crash mat. Limit them. Make sure that the person uh, being thrown has the correct break fall in place to move the force into the ground rather than receive it into the head. Make sure the break falls are correctly executed as a kid before you start throwing and then monitor the way that they're doing their throwing practices. In other words, everything we can do to limit that force going into the brain is going to be good. We need to think about what we actually need to achieve with our training to be best placed to do that, which is that deliberate practice. Uh, in sparring for kickboxing, for example, I get my guys to do super slow motion sparring. Okay. Which means that there's no force transfer to the head at all because it's so damn slow. And as right. they're doing it, several things are happening. One, the person throwing the shot is having the fine motor control to be best placed to deliver their shots uh, uh, how they want to. So it's giving them the ability to, 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 to strike even better than before. Not only that, the recipient has got a chance to see the very first tells, the very first signs of the opponent throwing the shot, the breathing patterns, the weight shift, the little tension and flow in the body as the shot's coming out. So the stimulus is being received better. And then they've got time to select the appropriate response and execute it. 
So we do a lot of super slow motion work um, for that stimulus response, which seems to be, and there's no research that I've found yet that actually has, has investigated it, but anecdotally it seems to be getting better responses uh, for, from the guys that I train. So how's judo, that been, sorry, eh? so how's that been received? Because I imagine that's not a common method of training. No it's, not, it's, no, it's not at all. Uh, I mean, in my classes, I do not do head contact. Um, I, I, when I met my professor, uh, Eric Anderson, uh, three years ago, and I realised what I was doing to the kids, I stopped it for kids straight away. Then about six, nine months later, I stopped it for adults as well. And actually, my uh, uh, class uh, numbers went up and people were enjoying it more. But obviously, I've still got people that compete and fight. So as such, for them, we moved to super slow motion training um, it, within my within my control. Now, they've obviously uh, they're competing, so they're getting the repetitive head impacts in competition. But I'm, I'm doing my best to limit it in training. Remember, the more hits you've got, the more likely you are to be knocked out. The more hits you've got, the less motor control you've got. So the worse you'll be anyway. So you've got to look to limit it in training to be best <coughs> in form. So in judo, uh, transferring it over... Um, you know, we've got to be clever with the way that we train and look to protect the heads, especially for the children. OK, interesting. Do you think that organisations like the BGA, the IGF, have got enough in place? Are they offering their coaches enough training or is this not something you you know too much about? Um, I, I, I know that looking at the BGA website, they're uh, uh, five or six years out of date with their concussion advice. Um, we've got the uh, Concussion Consensus in Sport Group, uh, which forms the uh, uh, which meets every four years, uh, and I think we're we're sort of eight years old uh, actually on the the BJA advice. In fact, it's due to sit again this year and update with the current current best evidence. Um, so. For example, for, for, for judo, uh, the concussion knowledge is lacking at the moment. Uh, boxing has gone apathy towards it. They kind of ignore the fact that, uh, uh, in fact, on the British Boxing Board of Control website, they've actually got a bit uh, and a bit that says uh, boxing the facts. If you scroll down there, they say that schoolboy and amateur boxing has got no instances of brain injury. Oh. You know, amateur boxers have died. Schoolboy boxers have suffered severe brain injuries. Any concussion is a brain injury. The apathy in boxing is astounding and it's got to change. Uh, rugby are making attempts um, to protect the sport mainly, but uh, they're making attempts to educate people. And they've got their, I think it's headway or head case that they've got as a system of rolling out educating people. And that's pretty much up to date with what we know about concussion uh, and, and traumatic brain injury. Judo's out of date. Uh, and BJA needs to uh, uh, up their game in that respect, as does the uh, 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 International Federation. Uh, I was going to say Jiu-Jitsu International Federation, because used to fight for those as well. Um, but yeah, we need to we need we need to get smarter. We need to get cleverer. Uh, for example, um, just on concussion and concussion recovery, if someone's had a concussive brain injury, so if you've got any of the symptoms of concussion, you're talking 24 to 48 hours of no screens and no you know no, no physical activity, physical and cognitive rest, oh, and wow. then only a gradual return to play, a gradual return to physical activity, even a gradual return to school. Only at a rate and pace where the symptoms continue to subside. 
If they're not subsiding, cut it back even more. So it's got, you know, this is to provide the brain with the best chance to actually recover from it. And that's just recovering from the symptoms, let alone the, the brain injury that's taken place behind the scenes. Um, so 24, 48 hours of complete rest. Um, that's physical, no screens, get off your phone, <laughs> that kind of thing, no TV. Uh, and then a gradual return to school, a gradual return to work, a gradual return to physical activity. And only return to an opportunity to get a head knock, i.e. return to judo, after all the symptoms are completely cleared. That's going to possibly be 30 to 45 days. Wow. Okay. What's, um, what's the issue with screen time? Uh, because the brain's under load. Uh, basically, uh, it means that you're thinking, it means your brain's working, brain's processing. You okay. need your brain. Your brain tries to go into a hibernatory state after the brain injury in order to be best placed to help it you know, re- recover and repair. Uh, so if you're then using that brain, uh, you're using energy, calling other areas of the brain to process things, and it's taking resources away from where it's required. So it's going to hinder the recovery of it. So in the acute phase, 24, 48 hours, that's why no screen time. That's why, you know, don't think, don't use your brains. You know, veg, go to a darkened room, get some kipping. Um, and then gradually returning helps the neuroplasticity to take place where where you've got the broken connections, you're starting to learn how to, to reroute again. So you need to gradually increase the physical activity, gradually increase the use of your brain, um, only at a racing pace where the brain can actually handle it. So it's to be best place to recover. Okay. Um cool. We're coming we're coming towards the end, but something I want to ask you is yeah. what what are you doing to kind of get your research out there as in what do you think academics could do more of to get the research and the knowledge out there often you find that papers are written in a language that people might not understand or they're behind paywalls yeah help help sci-hub <laughs> S-C-I-H-U-B Sci-Hub okay. um, Don't go there, I haven't mentioned it It's not an illegal website that publishes every <laughs> paper that it can possibly find um, this, Each paper has got something called a DOI which right. is a, a, a code of reference for it. If you take that DOI and put it in Sci-Hub, you'll normally get the paper uh, <laughs> and you won't need the payable. Uh, if someone's desperate, they can always give me a shout. And I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out because I've got uni access. Um, but yeah, so papers are written for the audience. Um, for example, I'm doing a piece at the moment for the uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine um, and I'm writing for that audience. Uh, so they're a medical uh, sports medicine a paper so it's written yeah. with that in mind so papers are written for the audience in the journal of which it's published so obviously the general public find it hard to actually read those papers um i, I you know i find I, I, i'm learning to read in in my in my fields but you know but it's great <laughs> if i go into if i go into something completely different i'm like what <laughs> you know you end up with a dictionary besides you trying to work out what the terms are <laughs> um, so the, the the split between um scholarly work uh, and general public work is something called dissemination, where we, we, we talk about uh, and, and spread our knowledge. We do that through open letters. Um, for example, uh, in 2016, uh, my scholarly team, the, all, all my supervisors, were the ones who put the, uh, the, the open letter together looking to ban tackle rugby from schools. 
not ban tackle rugby full stop, not ban tackle rugby for youth, but ban it from schools um, for various reasons, which are, you know, are, are, are quite, when you read the paper, it's quite, it's quite open. That kicked off in the media um, big time. Uh, right. There's similar letters coming out this year. Uh, there's going to be one on, on striking sports that I'm involved with. It's going to come out this year that we hit a lot of press. So we, we need to sort of get the word out there to the general public. So, for example, I'm lobbying within various areas. Um, I've called, I, I, I call out bad practices. Like there's a, a massive event that took place a few weeks ago where they didn't have the, the sanctioning body's medical uh, attendance in place. I called them out on it, made it public um, on using social media, using Facebook. Um, they've now updated it. They've raised their ticket money because they're claiming they need to make sure that there's, there's more medical attendees, which is, ab- <laughs> you know, which is absolutely required. And it's a direct result of, I believe, me intervening. So things like that we can do. Obviously, this podcast, getting things out. Uh, there's books, uh, for example, Alison Pollock from uh, uh, Scotland. She's got a lovely book called Tackle Rugby, What Every Parent Needs to Know. So it's like basically getting it out there to the, to the general public. But that's why I do these podcasts. I'm very vocal on social media. Uh, uh, the, 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 you know, I'm lucky that I'm a, a sportsman. And so as such, you know, I've, I've got a, a, I've got an audience in the sports world. So yeah. I'm, I'm using that to spread it. Uh, and I'm looking to find solutions as well. For example, my, my, my research, um, I'm looking at various tests that are going to uh, quite nicely uh, cross over for referees, coaches, etc. So they can spot the signs of traumatic brain injury, know what to do about it early. Um, so I'm looking to help my sport as well. Awesome. I, I think you kind of hint at what I was going to say next there, but... You, on the other podcasts, the British Boxing Talk podcast, which again, I would recommend everybody go away and listen to, you are quite explicit in saying that you love combat sport yeah. and that this is not an attack on combat sport, but you think people could be doing things a lot, lot better. Oh, most definitely. You know, we need to protect, we need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our kids. There's so much more that we could be doing to, to make it uh, a safer, more enjoyable and actually more beneficial. Uh, just for example, physical activity is movement. Exercise is structured, regular physical activity. Games is uh, exercise, structured, regular physical activity played for fun. Uh, and sport is when it play it to win. All the sporting ideals don't come from sport itself. All the sporting ideals come from physical activity element and the coaching. So we need to change our perspectives on sport to actually be best placed to, to put you know our children first in the future. Awesome. Gary, um, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Um, if people want to get in touch, um, where's the best place they can find you? Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook um, and on the, the judo websites. So Gary Turner um, and my email. I can give my email out. No problem with that. Gary at GaryTurner.co.uk. <laughs> it's public. There's, so, yeah, there's Gary, only three people who listen. You're going to get a barrage of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put this out there on my on my Facebook as well, social media. And let's get some more. Uh, let's get some more listeners through that. But, yeah, <laughs> Gary at GaryTurner.co.uk. Find me on Facebook and social media. Uh, find me on the judo forums on facebook and uh, any questions that anyone's got any time ask uh anything is something for you um being wrong on something is a nightmare for me i've got to be right at it so 
what I'd like people to do, everything that I've said in this podcast, and indeed anything that you find I've ever said or written, look to critique it and find the mistakes. If there is a mistake, let me know, please, and I can get it right better for the future. (laughs) There's a mission for you. Fantastic. Once again, mate, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. And keep going with the podcast. It's a great little podcast you got.